So I think that was always instilled in us as well as it's not work. It's really finding what you're passionate about and your talents and being able to have that purpose-driven life, I guess. Debbie Penzone has a distinguished resume as a salon industry innovator, community leader, author, philanthropist, and lifestyle expert. She is passionate about wellness and inspiring others to live their fullest life and integrating these same principles into business. Debbie leads a team of hundreds as president and CEO of Charles Penzone Incorporated. Under the Charles Penzone Incorporated umbrella, you'll find Lit Life Plus Yoga, Royal Rhino Club, Barbershop and Lounge, and Penzone Salons, plus spas serving more than 300,000 guests each year. She is a certified yoga instructor and meditation guide, a marathon runner, a cyclist, a vegan, an optimist, a traveler, an art lover, and a fashion enthusiast. She is a devoted wife to husband, Charles, founder and chairman of Charles Benzone Incorporated. When not leading their business, you'll likely find her cooking up a new recipe in the kitchen, laughing with her husband, or on a yoga mat. Debbie, I had the opportunity to be with you on your podcast. So it's awesome to turn the tables a little bit and have our audience get a chance to hear your journey. I'm excited to be here with you, Brett. And I had such a wonderful time and such a great conversation with you with my podcast. So I'm looking forward to diving deeper today with you. Yeah, wonderful. So, you know, our format is to really make sure the listener gets to hear your full life journey. And so maybe you could just start at the beginning and share with us a little bit about your childhood and where you're from and your family and all those fun dynamics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I say I'm a small town girl. So I grew up in Springfield, Ohio, and very blessed to have a big family of seven. So I have five brothers and a sister. And uh, grew up in an amazing family dynamics with my father was his, he was kind of the man of the house at 13. So his dad died when he was 13 years old. And, you know, so often it happens where somebody, you know, said, well, now Dick, you're the man of the house. You know, you have to step up and kind of take care of your mom and the family now. So at age, you know, 13, he pretty much started working right away and even got a work permit to, you know, work at Galuzzo's, which was a, a little pharmacy uh, right, you know, by his home. So with that, I really got that work ethic that we always had in our family. So we had the Miller paper out that, you know, when you got to double digits, you had to start helping out at, you know, age 10, I can remember, you know, helping my brothers and everybody, you know, deliver papers and, and, go out and collect. So I got that work ethic and the value of a penny from my dad and his side because, you know, he grew up with five siblings and, you know, my grandma, you know, pretty much had to just keep them together, you know, and and they had a roof over their head and she worked for International Harvester and also was a seamstress on the side. So had a couple jobs just to keep them together, but always made them feel like they had each other and they had a roof over their head. So they were not, you know, the ones that were so, you know, in need because they had that shelter and they were able to collect the pennies and, and go buy milk and bread and keep the family together. And that was very important for him growing up is that he never felt that he didn't have that love and that, and that family uh, work ethic. Um, even though looking back, he said, you know, we really, we were poor. You know, we didn't have much of anything. So uh, I was blessed with that. And then from my mom's side of the family, um, she grew up in a big family, six. And um, her family life was really hard on her. She had uh, a dad that, you know, had some problems with drinking and anger and issues that, you know, uh, what I gathered from my mom was, you know, she took that. And she totally flipped her script. She was not a victim of that. Um, And her dad was not always, you know, abusive, you know, to her or the family, you know, was really when he drank. So, you know, growing up in that kind of atmosphere and family, she wanted to build a home that was so loving and unconditional love and caring and there for us. And 
she, I never saw my mom have one drink of alcohol ever her whole life because she kind of related that to, you know, what would happen to her dad when she grew up in some of those really hard situations that she had to go through. So uh, I think learning more about my mom and dad and where they came from really shaped my childhood. Mm. And I feel- well, Let me just ask yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I feel blessed to dive deeper into my mom and dad and gosh, you know, they're not with me now. And if, if any piece of advice I could give others is take the time to unravel those stories of why they are who they are, because that's what shapes you And if you don't know, you know, for my dad and mom, like those little things that mattered so much, I got to find out kind of why it was so important to them. Or I guess I didn't judge it as much because I didn't walk in their story or their shoes when they experienced things when they were growing up. Yeah. Yeah. This is really wonderful. I think that's uh, incredible advice for people, you know, to make sure that they take the time to really get to know and understand and be curious. And, you know, what I heard you say is a lot of really great stuff about um, kind of there at the end that, that in that knowing, in that understanding, you know, with that curiosity, it opened up a whole new frame to see them in, in the way that was like, oh, I get it you know, that's yeah. where you came from and that was your family and that was your upbringing. And, and now it makes sense to me why it was this way, which, which can be applied for better or worse, right? Like if somebody is an addict, is an alcoholic, you could understand why maybe if you understand the generation before that that became a thing. Or in your mother's case, you understood why she was so focused on unconditional love and why she never took a drink. You, you got it. You understood that. Same on your dad's side. That, that understanding, it, I'm guessing it brings you some peace too, some clarity and some kind of peace, right? I really started to see them as human beings, not just my mom and dad. I really, and, and my dad and mom were so good at storytelling. And they would share these amazing stories as we grew up that I find myself, you know, thinking back to, you know, and and really seeing even my grandmas, you know, both of my grandmas, I never got to meet my grandfathers because of course they were gone, but you know, how strong they were as women, keeping the family together and um, instilling in my mom and dad, those values of family, of unconditional love, of the value of that, not just in all the stuff. You know, when I grew up in a big family, you know, I, I can remember saying, oh, mom, it's a true story. I wanted a polo Izod sweater for, an, for a dance in the eighth grade. And my mom and my grandma surprised me. They went out and bought a pair of Izod socks and they took the little Izod off the socks and they sewed it on a sweater for me, which was so thoughtful, you know, but... The whole night I was so worried that somebody would find out it was a fake eyes odd, you know, but, but they helped me start getting, you know, over the things and the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and the brands and things like that. And really what was truly important in life to make you feel happy and joy and, uh, you know, feel like you're living a purposeful life at any yeah. stage. What, what incredible role models you had at a young age, you know, you're, you're talking about learning work ethic and togetherness and the importance of, of what was really important, not, you know, stuff and things and labels. Wow. You know, did you have any sense of that when you were a kid? Oftentimes this stuff is just like, well, that was just your experience. In hindsight, we see it this way, but did you have any sense of this being kind of a special environment to be living in? Uh, You know, I did because they always, you know, it wasn't like we didn't have discipline because I think, you know, that discipline means they love you. I can remember, you know, some of my friends that were like, well, I can, I can do this or stay out or, you know, and, and it would come back to, well, my mom doesn't care. I can do this. Or, and then I thought, well, you know, my mom does care. And, and that discipline still, you know, means she loves me. So 
you know, and I did notice other people's parents, like my parents, if you ask anybody, they were at every sporting event, everything that we did growing up. We had seven kids. I don't know how they did it all. They were everywhere. And, and why that meant a lot to my dad is because when he was 13, he had to start working. He never got to play any sports in middle school or high school because he had to work after school. Sometimes he had to get on a bus and go 30 minutes to, to start work. So he really wanted to be there in all the sporting events and, and, and help us and, and, and be able to have us experience what he didn't get to experience growing up too. But, but you know, my mom was always there, not only um, in school as a volunteer, but she also was Sunday school teacher, always, you know, was there to do all the field trips, you know, drive us even after she had worked that night, maybe as a night nurse at the hospital and didn't come home till seven in the morning, but she would still come at one in the afternoon and take us on our field trip. You know, they, they were always there and wanted to be involved with all of, all of us, all seven of us. I think we all felt that dedication. And if you look now at the grandkids that we have, it, sh- it shows in how they treated my mom and dad. Because, mm. uh, you know, I think you, you get that back, what you give out. And yeah. that, that love is just, you can't fake it. You can't call it in. You got to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. The, I'm curious to kind of go back to the work ethic piece. Yeah. You know, obviously, you're a very successful CEO and founder, and you're in a whole bunch of kind of entrepreneurial ventures. Tell me about the early days. What were some of the first hustles? You you mentioned the paper. What else kind of Um, like, you know, where did you start to kind of, beyond just the work ethic, where did you start to kind of love the the idea of, of business? You know, Western Sizzlin' Snake Steakhouse. Western Sizzlin' Steakhouse, I was a blockhead. So that was kind of like my first job at 16. And it was great because, you know, when you go, when you start a job at 16, you get to meet other kids that you'd never meet from your own school. And you get your own money and you just start saving your money. I was very fortunate. My dad was an insurance salesman, but ended up going into financial planning. And so, you know, to see the value of a dollar and, you know, the cost of things that he would share with me was so powerful from a young age, you know, to really, you know, start saving that money because then the money works for you, you know, Mm -hmm. and the power of that knowledge was very important for me too. And then we also got to do, you know, I also did sports and, you know, uh, activities like that as well um, after school. So, it was really trying to fit it all, you know, fit it all in and, you know, just be able to, uh, you know, share, I guess, that work ethic with the family. So we always had chores. So if you ask any of my brothers or my sister, we always had dishes we had to do. We helped with laundry. We helped take care of the home. Uh, my grandma lived with us for a sh- uh, short time, but she did live with us um, for a while. So there was even more um, in our household to take care of and help. And my mom and grandma would make my clothes. Every school picture I look back at right now, I can see an outfit that I went out with my mom and grandma and we picked out the fabric. I got to pick out the buttons and my grandma picked out a pattern and she made it for me. So that kind of work ethic that I saw in my own grandma or my mom and my dad was always there. Like, you know, and it was joy. So my dad would always say, if you love what you do, You'll never work a day in your life. And if you love what you do, you'll be successful. And even to this day, our grandkids say that. You know, they remember, you know, they remember, you know, grandpa saying that to them. So that was kind of instilled too. It wasn't work. You know, you got like he loved, he said it was like Disney World on Mondays when you got to go to work and help people save money and have life insurance policies and save money in their finances so they could buy that dream home. Or they could make that dream come true. So I think that was always instilled in us as well. Is it's not work. It's really finding what you're passionate about and your talents. And being able to have that purpose-driven life, I guess. Yeah. And um, that kind of seemed to, from what I understand, come to you pretty early as you start to kind of work your way through high school, right? Tell me about kind of how you start to think about 
um, cosmetology and just where you're maybe headed with your life. Is that coming in for you in high school? Oh gosh. Yeah. Even yeah, in, in middle yeah. school, I was doing everybody's hair. I permed my brother Timmy's hair, um, <laughs> you know, and I would have girlfriends come over and, and do, you know, cut bangs in their hair and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, literally I have a picture on one of my vision boards that I shared with our team um, in a power circle, whereas the picture of me as a little girl with my little curling iron and my bag of makeup. Like I was all about beauty and uh, and giving that to others. I was always kind of creative. I always took studio art. I loved art classes and crafts. I always did like decoupage and crafts and different things like that, you know, um, with my mom and my grandma a lot growing up. But in middle school, I did have a skin disorder called eczema. And I wrote a book in 2011 called Debbie's Club, Discovering My True Beauty for Girls. And it was kind of my experience that I went through not just seeing the outer beauty of people. Because at that time that I went through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, it was kind of, you know, made me realize that there's more than that outer shell of beauty. And Mm -hmm. I would sometimes get made fun of because of my rash. And they thought that it was contagious and you might catch it. It showed up on my eyelids and around my nose and my ears and on my arms. And it felt different. It felt uh, not pretty. Mm-hmm. And that was a real rough time for me to go through that. Sure. Um, and I think that really helped me too. When I got to high school, I didn't, you know, it, we got medication that really helped it. It was usually just mm-hmm. in the winter time when it would get really bad and scratch and mm-hmm. itch and everything. So I, I, I saw you know, that I wanted to see people for who they were. And I didn't want to ever judge people. And I knew how hurtful words could be and how hard it was when you weren't the popular one, when everybody kind of kicked you out of your own club and didn't want to sit with you at lunch. So those lessons too that I learned in middle school, I really feel made me the woman I am today mm. because I have a totally different outlook on popular people or beautiful people or what society says is beautiful and and all that outer shell of beauty. So that when I did end up, you know, going to cosmetology school, I didn't judge people or see them in any way like that. You know, everybody yeah. to me, I, I I wanted to get to know them, who they are inside. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, even going back to your mother and her experience as growing up in a house with an alcoholic and your experience, you know, in with the eczema and kind of being, uh, having a taste of, you know, not being the pretty girl or on the outside, you know, a lot of times people go one of two directions with that. You know, they can either repeat the behavior and um, maybe get bitter and angry and, you know, insecure and other things that, you know, come out in a negative way. In both cases with you and your mom, you turn this into a positive, a real learning experience that you're making a choice. You want to be a different way than what you experienced. You want to be there for other people, be of service, unconditional love. Why is it? Is was it your was your mother's influence on you that had you decide to kind of flip the script and really you know kind of learn from this and show up for people later in life the way you do? I think you know with both of my parents, you know, my dad would always say the glass see the glass is half full, not half empty. That was another thing he would he was he was a real optimist, and my mom would also say you know look at my family, you know some of them went the same way, you know, and I choose, I chose, I chose not to go down that path. So the, I think the power of choosing, you have the choice. I can remember, and and I would tell this story because it was so powerful. I'd get goosebumps because I can remember literally waking up one night when I was really going through a tough time and didn't even want to go to school because I just didn't feel like I, you know, I just didn't want those you know, that those people to make fun of me and have to face that. So it was a small school. I can remember sitting up in bed and saying to myself, I will not let their words hurt me anymore. I am not going to listen to what they say anymore. I'm not going to let them hurt me. Those words will not hurt me anymore. And I think it was taking power 
you know, over that, like, you know, I could, I could let what they say make me not smile or not have a good day or not be me or hurt me, or I could perceive myself as how I wanted to be and, you know, go find those true friends and not let the stupid rash on my face matter. I don't know. Did that answer? <laughs> yes, yeah, it did. I'm trying to think did. of like, you know, those, those moments that, um, and in high school, you know, it was very important for me, senior night, one of the most important awards I got was friendliest because I, I really wanted to give that back in high school. I can remember a couple of people, you know, still reaching out to me, you know, that were in my art classes, a couple of guys that were like, you were so nice to me always, Debbie. I, I, I just felt like kindness and getting to know somebody without that judgment, it really meant something to me then. From that, yeah. you know, that situation on, I tried yeah. to really live it, I guess. Yeah, and and I I believe that, and it it is interesting. I think these even recognitions that sometimes you get at a young age. My wife often talks about receiving the uh, friendship pin in her sorority as like the yeah. the best friend in the in the sorority, and you know, it really is impactful to have people tell you that they uh, want to honor you because you're kind, yeah, because you're a good friend, right? I mean, these are things that really do mean something and it's, and it's because it's not about you, right? It's about yeah. your impact on other people and what a great way to be and to be recognized for. You out of cosmetology school mm-hmm. go right to Penn Zone. Is that no. correct? No. Okay, I, I maybe had that wrong. Tell no. me, tell me uh, your path to Penn Zone. Uh, there's a good story there, and I still get to share it now. I have three tours next week with cosmetology students, and I love to share this because oftentimes one person can squash your dreams, or one person can build up your dreams. And I had an instructor in school. I went to uh, cosmetology school here in Columbus and I told my secret to a few people with my instructor. I wanted to go work at Penzone. Okay. And at the time, you know, the first year out of school, I had gained that freshman 30 and not that that mattered, but I was a small town girl in big Columbus and I didn't really have a lot of confidence after graduating from high school because in my industry, a lot of people question it. Like, can't you go to college? Why do you want to go do hair? You're never going to make money. It just wasn't, it was a very difficult path to choose. But yet I had my family support 100% that made all the difference. Everybody's like, Debbie, this is you. You love this. And my dad would say, and my mom, you, this is what you love to do. Do it. Take your own path. But I can remember that instructor and she didn't even probably know it. She just said, oh, no, 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 Debbie. You, you wouldn't fit in Penzo. I don't think they'd hire you. You're a small town girl. You really need to go find a real small salon that you can fit into. I never even interviewed at Penzones. Because of that, I went to the small salon called Tangles on Bethel Road. <laughs> and it was way back when Bethel Road just opened and TCBY Yogurt was there and streamers and I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, gosh, how many years ago? 30 some years ago right now. Cookers maybe. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, Bethel Road was hot. That was a hot little stretch of town. And it was this little (laughs) teeny salon that was pink and it was called Tangles. And I was so fortunate that I worked, Marilyn De Palma, who was a hairdresser there, hired me to do shampoos for her and train with her. I had no idea, Brett, that she used to work at Penzone's. I had no idea. And she worked at Penzones and then got married and moved out of the country. A couple years later, she got divorced and moved back. And so Chuck didn't have any chairs open. So he said, go work somewhere. And when a chair comes open, you can come back. So within that six months, she hired me to do her shampoos and learn with her. So she actually got me an interview. And I'll never forget that day that she said, I have you, got you an interview at Penzones. And Debbie, you have to get the job. You have to believe that you are good enough to get it, you know? Mm. And she was the real, my real first mentor as a young woman, as a young professional. And she saw so much in me and kept building up my confidence that at that time, that's what I really needed. So I really share that with a lot of the young professionals. Just be aware of who you tell your dreams to 
and what they say, you know, and, and don't let what they say, you know, don't hold that so heavy in your heart. That's what they think and they perceive, but you are the need. You need to be the one that believes it and see it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what anybody else sees of you or about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and on one hand, you have got somebody telling you, you know, that you're you're not meant for it, and then on the other hand, you've got somebody telling you that you are, right? And so it's like, well, who are you going to listen to, right? And and you have to decide what you believe. Ultimately, do I believe I'm meant for this place, that I'm up for this place, or is somebody right here? And it's certainly helpful to have mentors and people that are on your team telling you you can do it. Uh, there's no question that can be really impactful. So you got the job, yes, right? I did. Yes. Yes. And um, and here you are yes. all these years later, you know, as, as CEO of Penzone. I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. I... I I don't know of many where, you know, that's the case where you start at the very entry level of a company like that and end up um, at the position you're in and have been for quite some time. Tell me about the journey. Yeah. Well, 33 years I've been with the company. If you can imagine, 33 years. You know, I started like all of our junior stylists, you know, training for a year. I didn't have to go as long because I had already trained with Marilyn for six months. So I did go through that training program a little faster. Um, and then uh, I got behind the chair. I didn't get the, the salon that I wanted to go to. You know, you get a kind of... We had nine, nine locations at the time. But we had a wonderful manager that you know said, I really see you fitting in here, Debbie, um, down in the Dublin salon. And you know, the vibe and everything like that, because we had, were just opening a new salon on Bethel Road. So, you know, I, I think back too to some of that guidance. I worked with an amazing um, hair artist, uh, Paula, and she was so creative and just, you know, really helped me to open up and believe in myself and be okay talking with others, you know, because I still had that small town, you know, worry about, I don't want to say something that's not right or, you know, it was kind of intimidating, you know, being around some of the guests that would walk in when you're, you know, 19 years old. But I did take a journey, you know, through my assistant program and my first year behind the chair. It was kind of hard to talk to certain people. And I would question myself when I was having conversations. And my dad suggested I take a Dale Carnegie course because he took one and he really learned a lot. And uh, so here in Columbus, I signed up for a Dale Carnegie course, an 18-week Dale Carnegie course that I took as a young stylist behind the chair. And mm-hmm. 80% of our job is communicating and feeling confident and being able to you know, connect on that personal level with somebody and build that great relationship. So I really feel like that was really pivotal too in my success as a young um, stylist behind the chair because that Dale Carnegie course, I was there with 60 other, you know, business leaders, like, you know, and, and I just went to cosmetology school. So I didn't have the opportunity to go to a college. And, and this course was, you know, college credited course. And I was there with people from like, you know, the different banks around town, accounting firms, uh, you name it. They were there to kind of go to that next level of leadership for their corporation. They had to go through this program, Dale Carnegie. So I had to get up in front of 60 people and I had to deliver the same speeches or do the same work. And I thrived on that. And I really felt like I learned a ton of, you know, how to really, you know, his famous book, Win Friends and Influence People and Make Those Connections Happen. Yeah, well, it is kind of uh, neat to hear that even today, probably more than ever, there is content out there. There is an opportunity to learn and learn in a way that can directly impact your uh, life and your work experience, maybe sometimes even more so than the typical college education. You know, you're in a room now full of people that are in careers, that are having some success, and you're learning tools that can really help you on the job. 
you know, that, that might be way yeah. more important yeah. than a college degree, well, you know? And, and they really encouraged us. We had to write it down and we had to do it. So I was sharing, I share a lot with, you know, I, I ended up being behind the chair as a stylist, designer, director, and senior director. So we have those five levels that in our company, you have goals that you reach and you set. And with those goals that you hit, you get promoted. So on that promotion journey for me, I ended up really wanting to share and give back to our training program. So I started getting involved in the training program for our younger stylists. And I really found a passion in that. I love training you know, the younger stylists when they would come in and helping them, you know, and sharing some of these techniques that I learned. And one is like first impression, you know, or, or how to have a guest consultation behind the chair. And we had to practice. So with Dale Carnegie, we had to write them all down. You know, you go to the dry cleaners, you have to introduce yourself. You have to hand out your business cards. You have to talk to that person. You know, you go through the bank and you go through the drive through I, you know, I had these things that I was practicing because they were really empowering you to do that all week. So you met once a week. So I had to write down all these, you know, interactions that I had with people and how I felt, how did it go? And I really started learning the power of the first impression and introducing yourself and hearing somebody's story. And so that kind of put me in that training part with our company where I feel like that was something else that set me apart. I started doing the training program and then I also started working with our guest service representatives on training. How do you answer the phone, your voice tone? Uh, how do you talk to guests? You know, all those communication and people skills. I loved anything about that and really wanted to create programs for Penzone around that. And, you know, kind of just, you know, gradually, you know, started to get promoted that way as well. So more, you know, into the training and more of the business side of classes and training and education and not just standing behind the chair doing guests every week. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing sounds like you're really getting your kind of, you know, masters in, in this business in particular. You know, you're learning every aspect of the business. And, you know, I would imagine that that still serves you really well um, I, I think it's a great way. In fact, I was just having this conversation with my son who's starting to think about his career. Yeah. And, you know, what I always encourage people to do is to start in a career that you think you really love and would love to do, even if that means you have to start at the very, very bottom doing things that you don't necessarily love, yeah. that you learn the business and, and you can learn every aspect of the business. You know, I know from my standpoint, the fact that I spent time in banking, even though I didn't like it, helps me really understand the banking aspect of our business or, you know, having worked in leasing and maintenance and construction and, you know, all these summer jobs and entry-level jobs mm -hmm. gives you a frame, a perspective, a understanding, kind of like we were talking about before with your parents. You, you can now speak to every position in the company, every person in the company, as if you've stood in their shoes. You understand them, you understand the job and that is a really powerful thing as a leader to be able to do. Yeah, I can even remember back, thinking back to when I answered phones because something happened and we needed somebody and I was Devin on the phone. And, and talking to our call center team to say, wow, my voice muscles, you know, after answering a hundred calls in one day, like, wow, this is a lot of, you know, it, it's not just sitting there answering the phone. And then yeah. all the different guests and the things that they ask you. And, you know, when you work with the, the public and stuff, you know, you think things never surprise you, but you still get surprised a lot, you know? So sure. um, I really wanted to feel, um, and I think that was so powerful to know each, you know, area of the company because I want to be there for them. And I think that, you know, came from my husband, Chuck, you know, saying, Debbie, you know, you know, the people, the services and the products, you know, and you know, all the different areas 
and, and know that you know it. Because it was scary in 2008 when he wanted to hand the torch to me. 2008. Um, I didn't know if I was ready. Uh, I didn't go to school, you know, to you know to to be a business person and understanding all of the P and L and all the things that you feel like you have to know and should know to to be able to be that leader in a company like ours. Um, he just kept grounding me down and knowing that you know, you know, the most important parts. You live it and you have lived it. And continuing when you are in the board meeting and we're making decisions, you will know what their feet feel like at three o'clock in the afternoon. And you're going to be able to guide the company because of those very important things that you've lived. Mm -hmm. And how was that? I mean, you and Chuck yeah. uh, come together yeah. and, oh, and find easy. each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, honestly, yeah. talk about that because yeah. I would imagine that that could be really hard too, yeah. that you've got to now um, not only run the company, but you have to, um, you know, kind of prove to people. I don't know if that's even yeah. fair to say, but there's people out there that are going to question why you're in that role. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to, you know, I don't know, how do you handle that? Well, what really helped me was all of my charity work and community work that happened before or around the same time I became president. You know, or it really, and I, I before I became president, I started cutting back my time behind the chair. So I went from, you know, full time to three days behind the chair, two days in the office. So I started, it was a real gradual movement. And then I got down to just one day a week behind the chair, you know, servicing my guests as a hair artist. And then it, and it came down to that guidance of Chuck saying, you know, now 100% of your focus needs to be on our team and our community. Because, you know, he was a hairdresser and he felt like that was a really big pivotal point to grow his company is when he took, st stepped away from the chair to focus on his team in the community, in the business, of course. So it was very helpful that I had that mentorship there. But, uh, you know, I, I volunteered for the Childhood League Center. And that's not um, an easy commitment. You know, it's, it's six years of dedication. We had a huge, uh, you know, fundraising goal that 100 women raised together. And I got to work in all different areas of the Childhood League Center, Center and eventually becoming president. So that had nothing to do with Penzone or Chuck or anybody. I had to do it. I mm. had to make it happen and show up. So I really started also diving deep into things that, that I could prove to myself. You got this. You know, you, if you love something, you believe in it, Debbie, you can be that leader. You know, you can share with others this purpose or this passion. And and, and step into that role. It was always scary though. I always kind of doubted myself, but then I had to, you know, really try to find those moments, like you said, where you got that, you know, not that you always have to have that approval, but it was just like, wow, we did it. We raised all this money to keep the school open. And, and, you know, I felt like my leadership mattered there. So a lot of the things in the community that then I brought back to Penzone. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a purpose-driven core team. You know, I wanted my team at Penzone to live it just like they did all these volunteers for that mission or that purpose. I learned so much out there in that world of some of them living their passion, you know, and mm -hmm. really making that difference because they believed so much in it. And it was more than just you know, going to work or having a job. So I really wanted to start hiring people around me that loved what we do. You know, we're in the beauty industry. We're in the self-care industry. You know, you got to love being able to go to a salon and enjoy the people or artists that we represent. And, you know, really trying to find people that fit, you know, our, our mold too, pretty, you know, artsy and, and loved, you know, what we do too as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, I think what's really been kind of fun to watch from a distance is that you have brought yourself to this business 
And, you know, I, I love the story, Childhood League, that you really got to learn outside of the business yeah. a way to lead. And you got to see how other people outside of the business, it's really a pretty great combination where you've got Chuck, who is incredibly successful in his own right. You get to have him as a partner and as somebody that you can um, lean on for counsel and guidance with all of his experience. And then you go out and create your own experience independently in a very different environment and you can kind of see what's happening there. And that all kind of makes sense when you think about Penzone, or at least I do, and kind of what I know of it today, yeah. right? You've really started to get into a lot of things this business maybe never would have been um, that make it unique. You know, when you start talking about kind of the spa services and, um, you know, your um, lit yoga mm-hmm. and Rhino Club and some of the mm-hmm. other kind of innovative things that you've been doing. This is, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, this is like you coming forward and creating this business in a way that is a reflection of who you are. I really feel that, yes. I, I, and I was so blessed to have a husband and a chairman that wanted that. You know, he was so ready for me to make major changes. And I think, Brett, like you said, when I became president in 2008, I had all these things I was going to do. Because of course, we were planning. I was vice president. You know, I, went in, I had three or four different roles in the corporate office until I became president. I was vice president of training, vice president of corporate team, of operations. And if you think back to the world economic crisis that happened, right before that, I had announced all these things I was going to do. You know, we had all these grand plans. Well, you know, the crises, financial crises happened and everything got put on hold and we couldn't do any of that. We were just learning and, and I was just trying to learn how to survive, you know, to, with all everything that happened through 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, but that was such a great learning playground for me because I realized what was important. You know, we had to cut out some things that, didn't matter anymore. What really mattered to us at that time. And then it also really gave me the fuel to prove, or not really to prove, but to be able to now, when I came into this three or four years ago of how do we reinvent Penzone? We really need to do that. Because, you know, we started to get to that place that I just felt like we need to reinvent it to get on the cutting edge of what's next. And we've always done that in the company if you look back on our 52 years. But this time, you know, we really got the blessing of do it. And when we had to present the concept to Chuck about dropping his first name (laughs) um, on the logo, that was pretty big, you know. But he trusted so much in me and given me that space that I needed to really let my leadership shine in the way that, that I am be because him, we are just such a perfect yin and yang together of mm-hmm. balancing out our leadership skills and how we are. Um, and I just always led in a different way. Along the way, he's let me change a lot of, you know, I started changing some of the systems from how I would view it, you know, and how I wanted to be that kind of leader of, you know, open discussion, learning lessons. We have learning lessons. We learn. Nobody wants to do something wrong. Sometimes they just don't know or they don't understand, you know, why a situation happens. So, so yeah, I was just really, you know, I guess, you know, honored to be able to bring this whole new way of us for the future of the brand and it really infused, you know, Lit Life Yoga. I learned so much from Lit in the community there that I wanted to bring back to Penzone. I mm-hmm. loved how the yoga community and the mindfulness and the self-awareness and human connection matters. I wanted yeah, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you about that um, because, you know, I read in your bio you know, yoga instructor, meditation guy, marathon runner, cyclist, oh vegan, right? Um, there's a lot there that, you know, is kind of who you are that is, again, finding its way into the business. 
Talk a little bit about kind of the Lit Life Yoga, like where did that come from? How did that become its own thing? I, I hear how it's influencing what you're doing at Penn Zone, but yeah. um, by itself, it's it's really a pretty cool thing you, you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I just loved everything about the community, you know, and, and everything I was learning and sharing and, and being in that community with the yogis and, and really connecting on that deeper level and really feeling like I was so tuned into me and connecting, you know, on my self-care and my self-awareness that I really wanted to, you know, have a space that I could share with the community. And it would be really open and caring and loving and be for everyone that wanted to come and experience it. And I really love like the whole multi- multi-sensory, you know, the aromatherapy and the light therapy and, and, you know, really, you know, dive into that multi-sensory experience for our community there. So when we did the barbershop, the Royal Rhino Club, there was a space that was open in the back and we kept walking around. The buildings, I think over a hundred years old and the back building where Lit is, that brick and everything was the original brick. So I just love that kind of history and that authentic. I mean, I walked into the space and immediately I felt something in that brick. I just like, you know, could feel it. And, you know, I think it was Chuck. He's like, you know, do a yoga studio, Debbie. You love yoga. You love the community. You know, this space is open. It, it's, it's, you know, it's perfect for a yoga studio. And you could have a dream. And it was right around my birthday. And I think he followed up on it. He kind of pushed me to follow up on it. I said, oh, you know, I don't know. And I had a little doubt. And then he kind of nudged me. He's like, happy birthday. Do it. You love this so much. And it makes you so happy. This would be a perfect, you know, first location. And create your own brand and whatever you want. And it was, you know, that confidence that he gave me, but also, um, you know, just wanting to bring this to life to share, not just the yoga part, but I really felt the life. When I came up with LIT, it stands for Learn, Inspire, Teach. And then the life plus yoga, that was like the real, you know, mantra behind it because I really wanted it to be helping people with their life connection, not just the asana or the yoga practice, but really how can you take it into your real world every day? Yeah, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, you said first location. Um, yeah. You know, what's the future look like for, for Penzone, for Lit Life Yoga? Uh, you know, where, where are you guys going? You know, we're coming out of pandemic. I think yeah. finally I'm comfortable saying that yeah. now. You know, you keep kind of evolving personally yeah. and the business and it's expanding into all of this incredible stuff. You know, give us a little insight into where you're going from here. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, we, we got certified the first year for Lit to be a yoga school. So we have a, you know, a training program where we can certify yoga instructors. So of course, that whole curriculum, I'd love to expand more. Um, to be able to share that knowledge. We, we are also getting certified in aerial yoga so that our instructors right here in Columbus, Ohio can certify other studios or other instructors in the aerial yoga, which is a 50-hour certification um, course that you can take. So I'd love to expand on that and the whole wellness and self-care, how they kind of come together with Penzone as well as that self-care with lit that what we have, you know, infused in that. Um, and then, you know, really bring it full circle with, you know, everything that you can add with that or understand, you know, um, you know, nutrition, how do you fuel your body and really helping people to connect it to themselves personally. And I think this is a big, a big gift is trying to have people understand that every person's unique. What makes you unique and what works for you? So that, you know, it's not just my way or being a vegan or doing this or doing that is the way. Find out what is your way. 
And what makes you get excited? What makes you feel good? What, what gives you calm and peace? There's so many different ways that we can, you know, meditate or connect with ourselves. And I think it's just opening up that possibility for people to start to say, wow, I've never thought of that. Uh, what makes me excited? There was a great book that I read a long time ago called The Truth About You by Marcus Buckingham. I think it's his name. Mm -hmm. The Truth About You. And he had a little tablet that came with the book. And on one side, you could write down, when do you get excited? What makes you have joy? And then on the other side, it was kind of like, when do you feel stress? When do you feel anxiety? When do you feel depleted? And it was not just the things you're doing or the food you're eating, but also the people that you're around. You know, it is so true. Like my parents would say, you know, you are who you hang around with. You know, be careful who you're hanging around with. So it was a really great way to kind of see, you know, and kind of look at your life. Like what is giving me energy and making me feel good and happy? And, or those people or situations that make you feel tired or depleted or not connected. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's all coming together in a really beautiful way. And I, I think this is why we have, you know, some overlap and we've loved having you at Gravity and would love to continue to find that overlap because what you're doing is you're really um, trying to make people's lives better, right? And in any number of ways that might connect them. And it starts with um, how you feel on the inside and how you feel about yourself on the outside. And you're kind of covering a lot of those basis with your work from Penn Zone to Lit Life to, um, you know, kind of where you're headed with nutrition and with um, all the various wellness aspects. You know, it's really about having people come into your world and feel better when they leave, which is, you know, what we're doing here at Gravity and um, where I just think there's a lot of shared passion. So, Thank you for doing that work and thank you for taking some time with me today and again, having me on your show. And um, before we wrap up, any kind of final thoughts to leave our audience? You know, I just really empower them to take the time to understand what is their self-care, to really give themselves that self-love that they need and fill themselves up and whatever that looks like to them, just to kind of take some time to figure that out. And, you know, put yourself first on that calendar. So you're ready and to give the overflow to everyone else in your life and in the world. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Good. <laughs> Debbie, thank you. You're it was really a pleasure to hear your story. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.